You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. As we conclude our module of receiving God's best with the lesson God's Agenda, Philip Edwards will emphasise the importance of choosing the eternal over the temporal and what God has ordained for you that no person or power can take from you. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk to see the other ministries we offer and for all the upcoming events. Okay, let's start this evening. Uh, It's the last of uh, four talks in this present module on receiving God's best. I hope you've listened to them if you haven't been present uh, at the course or even on on Zoom that you've heard them on the podcasts. Uh, They all stand alone as teachings because they are eight different principles that we need to apply to our lives to receive God's best. Now you could say there's well there could be many many more principles but these eight are probably the the most important and uh, it gives us a lot to focus on and to concentrate on in in developing a life that is to receive everything that God has for us. I'm just challenged to to look at many Christians and think they're not receiving everything they can from God. Uh, Sometimes they think, well, God will just bless me because God will bless me. But of course he won't because we're in a covenant relationship with God. He's set down certain ways in which the covenant work and therefore we have to do what he says to be in a position to receive the things from God. So I'm going to do the last two this evening. The first one is having proper priorities, having the right priorities in our life. And then when I finish that talk, we'll just go straight into the last one. And that is letting God choose for us. Uh, Instead of being independent and doing what we want to do, we're going to allow God to choose in our life. So proper priorities. If if we want God's best we must be more concerned with the eternal than the temporal we must have an eye on the future on the next world on what God is preparing for us if we're just focused in this world we know this world is difficult we will have trials we will have persecutions there are difficult things to handle in this world so we can get very down as Christians if we just think this is it some have suggested the whole book of Revelation was written to the church to inspire them to lift them up to show them there was another world there was another life that we were not just here for this time but we we were preparing for something that was going to be a lot more exciting and better and so this talk is about having our eyes focused on the eternal my key verses are found in 2 Corinthians 4 17 and 18 it says this for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal so in this scripture we see that the author is clearly setting up the temporal next to the eternal 
is causing us to he's put them side by side as it were and we have to compare them it is though there are two competing worlds that are looking to demand our time and our interest the the temporal world in which we live but there is an eternal world which we can't see that is also calling on us uh, wanting to uh, draw to uh, draw us to it to capture our attention to capture our interest the temporary and the eternal the temporary are things that we can see contactable with our, our senses things we hear and smell and taste and feel all of the things around us that are our senses can connect with the eternal is the unseen realm the invisible to the natural eye but is real as real as the world in which we live in as by way of an illustration I want you to consider a man or yourself standing on the top of a mountain you have the option up there to look down at the temporal or to look up looking down of course you see rocks and the soil and maybe rivers and streams and trees and grass animals possibly fish and you can hear and smell and see all of these different things now look up what do you see when you look up well uh, actually you see nothing oh you might see a few clouds but you just see space you see nothing there's nothing that seems to be there in that vast expanse though you know because of what the scripture says there's another world it can't be seen with our natural eyes but there is another world there it's the world of heaven it's the world where God is it's the world where Jesus is it's the angels are there the principalities and powers they are there the word says very clearly in the heavenlies although we can't see them with our senses we know there so man is the pinnacle of God's creation he stands at the interface between the natural world and the supernatural world you can look down and focus on the natural all of your life even though you're born again and you have an experience of salvation you can still focus all the time on the natural my concern is that many Christians simply focus on the natural so when problems or troubles come it shakes them they're not focused on the eternal they're just focused on the natural they're always trying to get through the natural problems that is coming against them and they don't realize that the answer often is supernatural I want to encourage you to look up of course we keep our eye on everything here but we look up there's an important principle in these key verses and it's this let me read it to you again not the whole verse just the key principle I want us to look at our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory it appears that the troubles that we go through 
are achieving for us an eternal glory. So part of what I'm going to say tonight is don't try and dodge all the troubles. Don't try and sidestep every problem that comes to you in life because if you do that, what you're doing, you're damaging the glory that God wants to bless you with or reward you with or clothe you with. Our destiny is an everlasting life in the eternal. That's why we have to look beyond this life. This life is just a short period of time. We have to look forward into eternity. An everlasting life in the eternal with a glorified body. That which we go through here, this scripture indicates, will affect the glorification of our body. We will live in the glory with the God of glory. It's, for me, I find it difficult to think that we can live just in a very uh, temporal, simple, natural way here and somehow just step into heaven and it all, we all become glory. It's just, I think the life that we live here, we take with us into the next world. If we haven't developed it, if we haven't developed our faith and all the virtues and the grace of God, God isn't just going to snap his fingers and we turn into this completely different person. Because we, we are resurrected. I, Philip, will be the one resurrected. So I can't die one person and then all of a sudden come up this other wonderful person that I was nothing like. That's, that's my ideas. Remember what I say, the things I think, and I just share these things with you. You don't have to think them, but they're just ideas that you might want to play around with in your mind. Our commitment down here, our dedication, our perseverance, the things that God has definitely called us to do, to eternal things, if we, we commit to them, they will create problems for us. Uh, I can understand when God, remember when God gave the parable of the talents. He gave a man five and two and one. And the man went off with a five and he doubled them. That probably wasn't easy. The man with the two doubled his. But the man with the one buried it. He did absolutely nothing. And then God called him wicked and lazy. The, the, the whole point is, if we want to grow, as it were, press on into the things of God in this world, we will cause problems for ourselves. We will upset people along the way. People won't, will want to shut us up and, and tell us to, to, to not rock the boat too much. That's just it. Momentary troubles. It calls them that. Knowing this... Remember the scripture in James, one that we don't like to quote too often. Um, whenever we face trials of many kinds, do you know that one? We are to consider them as what? Pure joy. <laughs> this man's off his head. He's overly committed to the Lord. It's obvious here. No, no. He said you're, you're to consider them as pure joy. Why? Well, you know now why. Because all the trials that we go through here, these momentary troubles, they are building up for us the glory for the next world. 
it's not about what we can achieve in this world, but what we do in this world will affect the next world, I believe. Or Paul talks about light and momentary troubles. So you must have your eyes focused on, on the eternal if you're to cope well with the problems, the troubles. For them to be pure joy or simply light and momentary, you must have your focus on heaven. You must. Otherwise, they'll destroy you. The problems will drag you down. Now, it was Paul that wrote about those problems, those troubles. So what sort of problems and troubles did Paul go through? Well, uh, I'll read them to you. It's a terrible catalogue of the things that he faced and went through. It's found in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 and 27. He says this, he says, I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the, jaw, the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from river, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And what does he call them? Momentary <laughs> troubles. Can you believe it? What that man went through for the sake of the gospel is simply amazing. Now, we, we probably have not suffered in that way. We probably won't, but there are brothers and sisters in the world who are suffering in that way, so don't forget that. But I'm not making light of your suffering. It is though you have to suffer for the glory to come upon you. And in that, in that if you consider it as light and momentary and pure joy, it is that which carries you through these things. To get through, you will have to persevere and you'll have to have your eyes fixed on the priorities. When we go through these trials, what is it that the Bible encourages us to do? Okay, this one. You're to give thanks in all your troubles. Now, don't give thanks for them. I remember as a young man listening to uh, my old pastor. I was probably in my 20s at the time and I was, I was quite passionate and uh, he preached this sermon. He was a great preacher and he preached about trials and going through difficulties and everything. Well, by the time I had listened to him, all I wanted to do was go through trials and problems and struggle. I just, he had just sold it to me so, so strongly. So at the, in those days, at the end of a service, you would be called on, someone would be called on from the congregation to pray. 
And so this evening, whether I was looking really enthusiastic or what, I don't know, but he called on me. So of course, when I got up to pray and close the meeting, I, I prayed for problems. <laughs> I prayed for troubles. I prayed for difficulties and hardships. And I was, I was quite excited about the whole thing. Because after the service, lovingly and nicely, I was sort of mocked by, by my brothers and sisters a little bit, saying, what's wrong with you? Well, he'd done a, such a good job on me that I just wanted to give myself, as it were, more to God. So we have enough troubles. If we're following Jesus with all of our heart, don't pray for any more. You'll have enough to cope with, but the idea is we pray in our troubles and not for trouble. We have to learn if we're going to survive, we mustn't grumble and complain. We mustn't do that. It, it's, God hates it so strongly when you think about the children of Israel. He was going to wipe them all off the face of the earth because all they ever did was grumble and complain. And it was Moses that stood and stopped him from following through on that action. So God hates it. He really hates it. And of course, we shouldn't do it because it, it slows us down. It stops us. It, it reduces our ability to just persevere and to go on. When you're going through a difficulty, a trial, take time to ask God what it's all about. Because he knows Sometimes we go through things and it's of our own making and God needs to sometimes explain that to us. But sometimes it's of God's making and God can clearly show us the actions we need to take or the attitudes we need to change. But always talk to him about the problem, not just pray for it to disappear, but ask him why. What's going on here, God? And in it, once you've done that, just trust him. Not necessarily trust him to deliver you out of it, because he doesn't always. You either trust him to go with you through it, and you have to bear the consequences of whatever that action is, or if it's in his will and purpose, he will deliver you from it. So you're not always delivered from all your problems. Sometimes we're delivered, and sometimes God just gives us the grace to go through. In that key verse, there's a, there's a, a paradox. It, it talks about looking at things that are unseen. It says, so we fix our eyes on what is unseen. That's not possible. Well, of course, he's not talking about our physical eyes, our senses. He's talking about the eyes of our heart. We have both eyes and ears in our heart. And that is what creates the faith within us that we see with our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our heart, and the ears of our heart. There is a natural faith uh, that is not, it doesn't come from God itself. It's simply natural. Let me explain what natural faith is. Uh, we sit on a chair with full assurance it's going to hold our weight. We don't test it every time we're going to sit on it because experience tells us that the chair can support us. It's made of metal or very strong plastic. Uh, it's made of wood maybe and I think I've sat on a chair many times before. I've got all faith in the world that that chair will support me and so we, we sit on it. If we discover it was made of paper, just a good mock-up, 
you would be embarrassed because you'd be on your butt. So that's an earthly faith. That's faith based on what our senses tell us. It's natural. Listening with our eyes and our ears of our heart will produce supernatural faith. It's biblical faith. Faith that's supernatural is based only, please listen to this, it's based only upon what God reveals to us. God has to speak to us and reveal things to us for us to walk by faith. We read things, perhaps in the Bible, but God's not speaking to us about those things. And so there's no faith for those things. We might try them, but they don't work for us. God has to speak to us. Sometimes we have to look at the Bible for quite a while. We have to read around a subject. We have to read the subject. We have to listen. We have to dig deep. And eventually God reveals truth into our hearts. And that which is revealed, that is what we can act on by faith. We should not simply allow the temporary world to influence us, but instead we should walk by faith. We meet life in the temporary world, but we can solve the problems in this temporary world in the eternal. Just this morning, uh, a group I was with, several issues came up, so what do we do with these issues? Well, the best thing we do is we start to talk to God about them. We start to pray. You see, we're taking the problem that's in this temporal world and we're lifting the problem into the eternal world, into the supernatural world. We're saying, God, we are bringing this problem into this supernatural world. Now you say, well, God already knows about it. I know he does but we still have to lift it to him. That's all what prayer is all about, lifting the problem that we have and saying, God, this is a temporal problem, but we want a, an eternal, a supernatural answer, please, to this problem. We should, in our lives, be directed, governed, controlled, and motivated by the things of the unseen world. The eternal things should govern our life then we will see life more from God's perspective God wants to show us what the world is like from his perspective so we understand the world from his perspective God's God's word reveals to us the unseen world it is by looking into the scriptures that the unseen world becomes more and more clear to us. This whole book is written from the unseen world. It is written by someone who is in the unseen world. It is communicated to us by somebody, the Holy Spirit, who is in the unseen world. So that's what God wants to do. So there's no shortcuts. The more time you look into the Word of God, and read the Word of God, the more clear this unseen world becomes. And the point is to another couple of verses now, or one, one main verse. It's in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. 
It says this. It's a bit strange at first if you don't know your Bible too well, so I'll explain it a little bit. It says, And we, talking of us, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We, I put that we in there, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. We are, present tense. So we are being transformed into his glory, ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let me just break that down a little bit for you. You have to go into the Old Testament to understand what that verse is all about. We know that Moses, he was called into the presence of God. He went up Mount Sinai and he met with God face to face. As he spoke with God, the glory that was on God, it came onto Moses. It was almost reflected in his face. So in those 40 days that he spent with God constantly and God talking to him and being with him, the glory of God came upon him. It says then, he went down the mountain and for the benefit of the people down the mountain, he put a veil over his face. Okay, so the people could talk to him, but they wouldn't see the glory of God shining from his face. As we live in God's presence, and we can say, as we take the Word of God, and we read the Word of God, the glory of the Eternal, it comes upon us. So the more time we are reading this, praying with God, walking with God, His glory is reflected upon us. Usually people who have walked with the Lord a long time, they just have a real sweetness about them, a real loveliness about them, as the glory of Lord is reflected upon them. The eternal is revealed to us in the mirror of God's Word. We know the Word of God is a mirror. It doesn't only mirror our souls and show us what we are like, but it mirrors the spiritual world around us. We know there are angels present. Maybe even in your room tonight there is an angel. We know there are also other forces that are at work. We know this because God's Word has reflected that to us. It has revealed things to us. If we take our eyes off God and off his word, it's as though the glory starts to fade. The reflected glory of God on us seems to diminish. The Holy Spirit can no longer do his work of transforming us. It says in that verse, we are being transformed into his likeness by looking upon him. It has an effect on us. So the minute we turn away and don't look anymore, the glory, as it were, fades. It's said of Moses, if I can go back to the illustration there, when Moses came down the mountain, he put a veil on his face so that the people wouldn't be frightened as he would meet with them. 
But it says in the New Testament that as the glory was fading on his face, he put a veil in front of his face. That sort of indicates that he was somewhat embarrassed, that the glory was fading and he didn't want people to see the glory was fading. Now, I'm not blaming Moses for anything. Moses couldn't live on the mountaintop. He had to come down and be with the people. But once he was out of the presence of God, it appears that the glory started to fade on him. It's the same for us. If you go for quite a while and you don't look into the things of God and re allow God's glory to reflect on you, the glory will start to fade. It definitely will start to fade. You will even feel that it's fading. You will think, where I was, I'm not where I am anymore. So we've got to allow the Word of God to keep transforming us, transforming our thinking, glorifying us as we look upon His Word. Jesus is both Lord of the temporal and of the eternal. He's the Lord of everything around you. He came as a man. He isn't just a spirit being who deals with the eternal. He was a physical man who came and he dealt with this as well. He came and showed us he could deal with all the temporal world. He could stop the storms. He could heal sick bodies. He could change water into wine. He could do everything both in the temporal world and all authority was given to him also in the eternal world. So we serve one who can master both. But let me encourage you to keep your priorities right. You focus on the eternal and you let God take care of the temporal. When you lower your eyes and fix them only on the eternal, things don't seem to work as well as they possibly could. Let me turn you again or back to Moses. These Old Testament characters are fantastic for us. People say, well, I don't read much of the Old Testament. I tell you, a lot of, or most of the New Testament is based on these fantastic illustrations and stories and people of the Old Testament. Of course, we do focus our eyes primarily on Jesus Christ without a shadow of a doubt, but these Old Testament characters can give us a real example for ourselves. In Hebrews, um, I've said it's an Old Testament character, but I'm, I'm picking a New Testament reference uh, for it. Hebrews 11, 24 and 27, talking about Moses, that great chapter of faith, remember? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. This is saying Moses did everything that he did. This great patriarch, this great character of the Old Testament did everything he did because he focused on the invisible. 
he persevered it says because he saw him who is invisible Moses saw the eternal he saw the eternal God it says for the sake of Christ in this now I don't think he saw Christ but he saw something that was coming down the line I don't know much how he understood about the Abrahamic covenant or how much he understood about his own Mosaic covenant I'm not sure what God had revealed to him he might have seen something he might have known that there would be a new covenant and in that new covenant there would be a king who would be king of the whole world I don't know what he saw he saw something he saw into the invisible he saw the eternal the eternal God and he saw something of the eternal realities how did he see these things not by his senses all he could see was the dust of the desert all he could see was millions possibly of complaining people all he saw was the hardships and the difficulties he saw lots of other things he didn't see these things with his eyes but he saw them with his eyes of faith what he saw by faith was more real than what he saw with his own eyes is a is a challenge for you I want you to think of someone very close to you someone you really love someone you know intimately someone you know just you know them so well do you know Jesus like that do you know Jesus like that you can you know he can be as real as real as the person that you spend the most amount of time with he I know it's all by faith and by the eyes of faith and by the ears of faith but listen Jesus can be so real it's unbelievable he's not just a thought an idea a concept a phantom he's real now I couldn't paint a picture of him but I tell you something when I see him I will know him without a shadow of a doubt and I will knock him over I will run to him with such glee and enthusiasm he'll have to he'll have to dampen me down a little bit in my excitement now see we he's so real to us that's Jesus he saw what he saw was more real than what he saw with his own eyes he could see the future he could see the nation released he could see these things all he could see in his natural eyes was these millions of people in slavery and poverty but God showed him an eternal picture something that was first temporary that he would take them into liberty but then he had his eyes focused on a heavenly city just like Abraham something in the future is heaven real to you to me heaven is on earth heaven comes to earth there will be a new earth and a new heaven I mean I'm trying to figure it out in my theology and and in my vision uh, but I have something passionate and exciting it's almost more real than the the world I living now what he saw by faith kept him true to his calling his calling 
was to save the people. Now, he was tempted. I mean, imagine 40 years living in Egypt, the most powerful, wealthy, not only a nation, but possibly empire in the world. He grew up for 40 years, 40 years. He just enjoyed everything that this nation could give him. And yet he knew that he had an eternal calling on his life, something that was most vastly more important than, than what he could get in this world. So I'm sure he looked at it all and all his potentials. Possibly he could have been a pharaoh. But he said, no, I have, I have an eternal vision. I'm, my eyes are focused, not looking down, down the mountain, but looking up into the open space. He saw what his calling was. He saw the potential. What he saw ensured he kept his sense of values. Somehow, looking at the slaves was more important than looking at all the wealth of Egypt. He had a different value system from the other Egyptians. His value system was God's value system. The vision for his life was God's vision for his life. The calling on his life was not to be a pharaoh, but was to be the saviour of his people. Egypt and all its riches, everything he could see with the natural eye, was less than the eternal riches that he could see with his eyes of faith. Are you there? Can you see the eternal riches? vastly, vastly beyond the riches that we could possibly, possibly sell our lives out for to obtain here. His priorities were right because by faith he kept his eye on the unseen eternal realities. We live in a culture where people pursue wealth and money. There is a danger in pursuing anything that the world offers. But there's a particular couple of verses that say, listen, money will destroy us. If we think about money and how much money we've got and how much money we can get and all of those things pertaining to it, it will, it will pierce us through, it says. Let me read those verses. 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 11. It says, people who want to get rich fall into temptations and trap and a trap sorry and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil it's not the root it's just one of the roots there's many things that can destroy us we have to keep focused on the eternal things. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, he says, man, woman of God, flee from all this 
and pursue. Pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Those are the things, the fruit of the Spirit that come out of the invisible realm to us. They're even, they're, you say, well, gentleness and endurance and love, they're all natural. But I'm talking about something that is coming from the supernatural, a supernatural gentleness, a supernatural endurance, a supernatural love. In our culture, as I was saying, the danger is we pursue riches. We make wealth our goal. Believing for some strange reason that it will make us happy in some weird and strange way. But we know that it doesn't do that. Because as soon as we have it, we want more of it. And then we want more of it. It's not simply great wealth that we want. It's sufficient to stop us worrying. Please listen to me. We just want enough wealth to stop us worrying. And you know what we're saying? You're saying, just give me enough so I'm independent of God. <laughs> I won't have to pray or look to the source of my life. Just give me sufficient so I won't have to worry anymore. It's not about worrying. It's about living independently. I heard a survey. I don't know who did it. I'm sorry I can't give you any things, but I just heard it on the television and they were asking people how much they thought they needed to be safe or feel secure. Uh, it's in, in the UK this was. And the figure they came up with was £50,000. People said, well, to feel secure, I would need probably £50,000 as uh, something to fall back on. Uh, maybe with a salary, the fear of losing a job or mortgage repayments and all that. They were saying, well, £10,000 wouldn't be good enough or 20 or 30. The figure was settled at £50,000. So it's amazing, isn't it? People are insecure because they're looking for more. If you pursue the temporal, you're going to pierce yourself through, it says, with many griefs. Uh, if you just ponder on those words a minute, it sounds quite painful, doesn't it? It sounds quite painful to be pierced through anyway, but with many griefs sounds even more terrible. <laughs> there is an alternative to pursuing riches, and Jesus tells us what that is. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and let God add to what you need. In my next talk that follows this one, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the kingdom of God. I'll re refer you to that scripture in Matthew 6, of course, uh, 31 and 33. It says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be given to you as well. You see, Jesus is the king of both the eternal and of the temporal. He says, first seek the eternal, 
I'll take care of the temporal. In fact, don't worry about the temporal. Just keep focused on the eternal and I'll take care of the rest. So principle number seven to add to the other six that we've looked at already. You must pursue the eternal and let God add the temporal to you. You must have your priorities right. Okay, that brings that first talk to a close. Um, normally, we'd have a break now uh, at the school. <laughs> You'd have a cup of tea and be able to chat and uh, tear me apart if you wanted to, come back with some questions, and uh, we would continue in that way. That's not how it is on Zoom. Okay, uh, I see Joel is ringing the bell. What does that mean, Joel? It means absolutely nothing. Okay, as a, as a private joke, I think. Right, so let's go on to this last principle, principle eight, and uh, we'll finish as I get through this principle tonight on this particular module. It's a principle again, receiving God's best. The last one, it's letting God choose for your life. Letting God choose. I've got to turn you to an event that happened in the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was busy baptizing and of course uh, one day Jesus appears on the scene and so uh, John baptizes Jesus and as the dove lands on his head it says that God had said to him the one you see the dove come and land on his head he is the one he is the Messiah and so John feels inadequate to baptize him but he does baptize him and then Jesus comes out of the water sometime later as Jesus steps out into his ministry many people come to him and they want to be baptized as well they haven't been to John they come to Jesus and they say we want to turn over uh, a new leaf as it were we want to baptize in the in the nature that John was baptizing a baptism of repentance Jesus himself personally never baptized people it says that in the scriptures but his disciples were busy baptizing all those that came to Jesus in time more people were going to Jesus than were going to John the Baptist and so we read there in John chapter 3 that the uh, the disciples of John they come to him and they they tell him that more people are going to Jesus to get baptized I think they were expecting John to be a little bit upset because John wasn't John understood something that perhaps they didn't understand and this is his reply to them it's in John 3 and 27 he says this he says a man can own can receive only what is given him from heaven a man can receive only what is given him from heaven only what God gives you can you keep only what God gives you can you keep because it's going to take the power of God to enable you to keep it if it's something that you've clamored for or wanted or God particularly didn't want you to have but you you grabbed for it you wrestled for it in some way you will not keep it you will 
lose it. But that which God has given you, you will keep. In the context of which you read it, it's about uh, disciples following a rabbi. Uh, John is called a rabbi, John the Baptist. And so he's talking about how many uh, disciples he can hold on to and how many Jesus can so that's the context of it but it has I believe a much broader application many people are out to get as much as they can now and if you're not a Christian I understand that you've only got a little time on this planet and so get as much as you can there's no future for you you might as well get as as much and do as much or enjoy life as much as you can and, and try and be happy as you can but it seldom brings satisfaction Solomon said this um, he, he talks about much in life being what we call meaningless reach a, a verse from Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10 it says this whoever loves money never has money enough Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Well, we might as well take the wisdom of God's word. It'll never satisfy you and you'll never have enough. There's always more. There's always someone with more than you. And the nature of it is you just want to accumulate more. You've got this much, perhaps you can get hold of some more. What does the scripture encourage us to do? Well, it wants us to enter into what the scriptures called our rest. It wants us to be at a place of rest with God, our souls at rest, not chasing after things, grabbing hold of things, trying to possess things and hold things. Just enter into your rest. It encourages us to turn our face towards the eternal, turn our face towards God and say this to God. God, show me what it is your good pleasure to give me. Show me what it is your good pleasure to give me. I'll sh share a little personal illustration with you. I have two brothers. Uh, they're both older than me. One is seven years older and one is just two years older. The one who's seven years older, he's a pastor. He's been pastoring in London. He's retired now. He's that much older than me and uh, in his pastoral ministry his church grew to about 1500 people a fairly big church and all the time that I pastored and I think I worked quite hard at it I was similar to my brother he had other giftings for me I only ever grew my church has only grew to 15 uh, not 15 sorry 150 people okay 15 wouldn't have been too good would it that would have been even more sad anyway they grew to about 150 people now of course I had to deal with this that I had a brother who had a church of 1,500 people and I had a church of 150 now I knew my brother quite intimately so I knew he wasn't perfect <laughs> I knew like all of us, none of us are perfect. Yes, he had giftings, but of course I had giftings too. So what I had to learn was I was unique and he was unique and God used him in a certain way and he used me in a certain way. And in the end, I could only have what God gave me. 
If he gave me 150, he gave me 150. If he gave me 100, it was 100. If he gave me 50, it was 50. But what he gave my brother is what he gave my brother. My brother wasn't brilliant or fantastic and wonderful and I was rubbish. That wasn't the case. We had to learn to receive what God wants to give us, not be always clamoring for more. Be content with what it's the pleasure of God to give us. I've kept this principle, letting God choose, for the last one to share with you tonight. Not because it's the least. In fact, I could have put them forward in any order. This could be at number one. They, they're, all, they're all very important, so please don't take any, uh, you know, the weight of them by in the order which I presented them to you. We live in a world then where we're surrounded by people People who are afraid, they might not always say they are. People who are searching, people who are uncertain about the future. People who are wanting to be loved and to love. People, people who are pursuing... Okay, we've got to deal with that. I'll ask my technical advisor to deal with that. Okay, it stopped anyway. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, so we're, we're living in a world where people are pursuing all the time. They're, they're searching for something. They're looking for something. Jesus describes them as sheep without a shepherd. Now, he's not being critical of them, and neither must we be critical of them. Without the Lord Jesus Christ... Without, without a knowledge of God, without a knowledge of the eternal, we would too be searching and looking all the time. We would be desperate on the inside of us to find answers. We would feel insecure. So when Jesus speaks about them, he describes them as sheep without a shepherd. And like I say, he's not being critical. He's full of compassion. He would have loved to have shepherded them, to, to draw them in. And we need to have sometimes the heart of the shepherd to answer people's problems, to reassure them. We must not let ourselves, though, be drawn into their world, their way of thinking. God has made for you, because God wants to choose everything for you, if he wants to choose everything for you, God has made for you total provision. Total provision for every conceivable need in your life. And he has also made it available to you. Sometimes when we don't let God choose, we find ourselves bereft of the things that we need. But when God has chosen, he's made ample provision in advance for us. What is it that he has made available? What am I talking about? Well, it's called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where we're supposed to be living 
The kingdom of God is where all provision is made for us. The provision of God, uh, sorry, the kingdom of God is where all our provision is found. If we're outside of the kingdom, our provision isn't there. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God, seek the kingdom and all the other things that you're concerned about, they will find their place in your life. I'll turn you to Luke 12 and 32. He says this, he says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's pleased to give it to you. What we should seek then is the kingdom. The kingdom is what God has chosen for our lives. Now, the kingdom is a very broad thing. If you just think about a natural kingdom, it's very broad. Just think about the United Kingdom and everything that pertains to the United Kingdom. There's tremendous opportunity and scope and diversity of all the different things we can do and where we can go. So think of the kingdom like that. It has tremendous scope. God doesn't want us all to be like the same, just walking in a line or looking the same. The kingdom is a vast thing. What is the kingdom? Let me just put it in some terms for you. It's not a location. It's not somewhere where we go, but it's where we're content. It is a place in here where we find rest in our soul. It's a place where Jesus is Lord and King. It must be. It's a kingdom. It's where all men and women are equal and free. It doesn't matter what your giftings are or your spirituality. I tell you something, we're all equal and we're all free. Everyone has to do the same thing to get into this kingdom. We have to kneel at the foot of the cross and we have to ask Christ to forgive us of our sins and gift us with his righteousness. I don't care how much money people have got or haven't got. There's no highs and lows. We come to Christ, all of us, the same way. There is an equality amongst us. And in that equality, we're free. It's a place where every area of our life that's our work and our play, our plans and our relationships are all subject to the king of the kingdom. In your relationships, you should be directed by the king. In the work that you do, in your leisure time, in the plans that you make, the king is there all the time for us. It's a place where we enjoy God's fellowship and God enjoys ours. That's the kingdom. The kingdom is a place where we say, God, you choose. You choose what you want me to do. You gift me and grace me with what's necessary. You provide all that I need. So as I submit myself to you, I have the abundance of your provision because it's your 
choice. Some more thoughts about this kingdom. I want you to imagine the most powerful nations or kingdoms of this world. The most powerful nation is America, probably in lots of ways. Closely followed by China, Germany, we're up there, maybe fourth or fifth, France, Japan, nations like us, powerful nations with tremendous wealth. Imagine if they made all their resources, their institutions, their wealth and their power, imagine they made them all available to you. If they came together and said, we will just put everything that we have together, powerful nations, great wealth and great institutions, and they said, here, you can do what you want with this. Just imagine what you would do. You'd eradicate poverty. Eradicate it easy with what is there. Starvation would be a thing of the past. All curable diseases, if it was just about drugs or cleanliness of health or all these other things, you could put all that into operation throughout the world. You could educate everyone so all the world was literate that's great but now think of the kingdom of God and it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God if you were to combine all the world's resources its power and its intellect and its wealth it would not even come near to the resources, the wealth and the power of the kingdom of God. Do you see what the kingdom of God is? It is just unbelievable. When we look at the power and the wealth of the kingdoms of this world and Jesus says they are nothing compared to my kingdom the power the wealth the resources of the kingdom of God and he said it is my pleasure to give it to you to make it available to you why would you ever worry about anything else ever 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 again when we just for a moment imagine or take the word of God and let it minister to us. I find it comical now that when, remember when Jesus and fed the 5,000, they tried to make him king, it says, somewhere in John 6 or somewhere around there. They tried to make him king. And what did he do? Do you remember? He said he ran and hid. He went, he went to a mountain. And so they couldn't find him. <laughs> they thought they could make Jesus the king of an oppressed tiny tiny nation overrun by an, an enemy military force somewhere in the Middle East they thought they could make Jesus the king of that nation no no he said no I'm I'm gonna be the king of the whole world 
I am the king of the kingdom of God and in the end all the kingdoms of the world will have to bow their knee to the kingdom of God. I can't be the king of a tiny little nation that is oppressed and small when I am destined to be the king of the whole world. The kingdom of God's resources are available to us if we allow God to make the choices of where he wants us to be and what he wants us to do in his kingdom. There are specific things that God wants you to have in the kingdom. There are places he wants you to go in the world because the whole world is the kingdom of God. Things he wants you to do, places he wants you to go, and tasks he wants you to perform. But he must make the choices. You rush off and do your thing. There, there, is, there can be little guarantees that God will supply your need. He might in his grace and his love and in his generosity while he's causing you to develop and grow. But basically, we need to listen to God and do what God is asking us to do. We need to let him choose for us. He chose for Israel. It's very clear. In Psalm 47, uh, verses 2 to 4, this is what he says. He says, how awesome oh we use that word far too much today don't we awesome this describes god i mean don't ever call anyone awesome because it's a description for god he says how awesome is the lord most high the great king over all the earth see he's king over all the earth he subdues nations under us people under our feet he god he chose our inheritance for us the pride of Jacob whom he loved God didn't say to the people of Israel go and find yourself a nice uh, area of land that you can make a nation for yourself and I'll come along and I'll work with you he said no I'll choose it for you I'll tell you where you should live let me do the choosing for you he said he would give them a land of his choosing weren't they silly the first time when they came to the borders of the promised land and would not receive what God chose for them and so they ended up in the wilderness they died in the sand of the desert they refused God's choosing for them God's choice is perfect he not only chose a land for them but it was full of enemies and he had to subdue and it was God who drove all these enemies out there's a tremendous uh, chapter um, I should have jotted this down but it's in Joshua uh, you might you might know it um, oh yeah I found it here uh, I don't know if, if you can see that you see this down this side there's a list uh, I, I, love, I love looking at that because it's all the nations 
and all the kingdoms that were destroyed in the promised land it's found in Joshua 12 and it just goes through one after the other this is what God did this is what God did I promised you this nation and so I pushed all these kingdoms I pushed them all out of you because I chose this for you of course they went into battle and and but they destroyed them one after the other after the other God wants us to find rest we find rest in the kingdom I believe there are probably many restless Christians why because they've not allowed God to give them the kingdom God is wanting to give us things we have a problem often in receiving what God has for us they've not allowed God to give them the kingdom they're struggling they're struggling to get things for themselves when God has already made provision they're struggling to make a success of their lives when they can't success is only found in the kingdom they they want to do their own thing you can't in the kingdom you can't do your own thing they want to secure their own future but God won't let you do that in the kingdom he does it he does it all we have to enter in and receive his kingdom when all the time it's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom what the father gives us what the father gives us can never be taken away from us I turn you to a verse in John again John 10 and 29 Jesus said this my father who has given them to me now this is a parenthesis I believe here just four words is greater than all and then the the sentence carry on, carries on again no one can snatch them out of my father's hand so I'll read this again to you without the parenthesis that's been added there uh, it was it was added by the writer by the Holy Spirit himself so I'm not saying it was man's edition I'm just saying I'll read it without that parenthesis my father who has given them to me and I think Jesus is making reference to the 11 my father who has given them to me no one can snatch them out of my father's hands once God had given the names of the disciples to Jesus remember Jesus went away and he prayed and got the names with the exception of Judas because that he is separate the 11 that God gave him he never lost them he could not lose them because they were given to him by God that which God gives us we will not lose those things that we grab and seek to possess that he doesn't want us to have it is very difficult to hold on to them and in the end we will lose them let's go back to the parenthesis I left out that which is greater than all 
that which is greater than all is the thing that the Father has given us. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. So what he has given is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Why? Why was it not possible for Jesus to lose the eleven? Ultimately, the most important and irresistible thing, the one thing that is absolutely sure and settled and cannot be challenged or overthrown, is the thing that the Father has given. What God has given you, nothing can take it from you. You know that about your salvation, don't you? You've got it. Now, there isn't a force in heaven or in hell that can take that thing from you, that which God has given you, that you possess. Don't worry about losing your salvation because if God has gifted it to you, you will not lose it. You will not. It will never be taken from you. That is greater than all. It is something that no power of hell or demon or even ruler can even undo, overthrow or unsettle. Jesus never wanted anything except what the Father gave him. That's why he prayed about the 12 disciples. He says, it's not what I want. Maybe Jesus had supernatural power, I know, but he didn't trust himself even to pick them. He said, God, you pick them, you give them to me, and then when you've given them to me, I know I won't lose these because you've given them to me. That which God gives to you is secure. You won't lose it. There was no force that could ever take those disciples from Jesus. There wasn't a force that could do it. Can I say he'll do the same for you? That which he has given you, nothing can take it from you. Nothing. What the Father gives, no one can take. Just want to share something of my own experience here. As I look back over my life, um, I see many things uh, that I'd never planned. In fact, to be honest, I don't think I planned any of it. Uh, it's very strange. <laughs> um, I don't know why I never planned it. Um, I'm quite a planner. Uh, as a leader, I'm quite a planner. But I never planned my life at all. Maybe God had blessed me and didn't want me to waste a lot of time trying to fathom this one out. I found myself in situations that were not of my making. And uh, some were painful and some were wonderful. But they weren't of my making. Now, I'm not saying I never made mistakes and I did some foolish things and I got hurt as a consequence because that's only normal. But looking over my life generally, it was God 
who determined my footsteps. There were opportunities that I would never have thought would have presented themselves and they did. Of course, I had to choose. We always have to choose. And I chose often, I believe, the right decision to make. God wanted me to go through certain experiences, uh, to enjoy certain things in life, to learn certain things that I could only learn through going in a certain direction with God. You know, sometimes you look back on your life and you think, oh, that was a terrible mistake, or I shouldn't have done that, and that wasn't quite right. Well, as you get closer to the end of your life, you realise maybe God made some choices that if if you were free to make them, you wouldn't have made those choices. So he made choices for you. He he didn't make everything quite clear. The the options weren't always that clear. And so you it appeared that you were making the choices, but he was really directing you. He was making the choices. And I praise God for all of them. Um, times when I was in ministry and pastoring and then times when I was working amongst the destitute and the poor and all the different things that God had led and brought me into and times abroad and times in this country I just thank God for it uh, just a rich tapestry of, of life that God chooses for us and see he's made us he knows us so intimately he knows what's perfect for us and if we let him make the choices it's just it's just wonderful what he what he does for us because he knows us he didn't make us to make our life as miserable as possible he made us that we would enjoy each other and enjoy the life and sometimes it's hard and tough but just ask god what he's doing but walk through it with him i find myself now with this uh, arise ministry this uh, bible school uh, now we're doing it in lockdown god what's all this about it's so difficult it's 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 tricky doing it like this it's hard preaching to the cooker it's not quite the same lord uh, i want to be i want to do it differently please lord but god knows you see when i come to hastings i know my gifting is to teach but i have to wait for god and so three years when I was in Hastings, God never said anything. I preached on a Sunday here and a Sunday there. I understand that and I rolled over in that way and that grew. But one day, I remember it clearly. God spoke to me and said, Philip, you can go now with the Bible school. You can do it now. And that was it. I knew from that minute, if God had still not said it, I wouldn't even be doing this now. God has to choose for us. Now, you say, well, what's going to happen? Is it going to be wonderful and enormous and big and reach the nations? I haven't got a clue. It's not my concern. All I have to do is follow. He chooses. I follow. I do the best I can and commit myself the best that I can. And God does it. We water things. We plant seeds. And God gives the increase does it matter there's if there's no more than this i tell you for a bible teacher if you get one person to listen to you that's fantastic 
It doesn't matter because the heart, the joy is in sharing the word of God with people. And there, there are you here and there'll be others listening on a podcast or whatever. They're listening. And so God can take what we have. And I don't think I'm so wonderful and brilliant and marvelous. I take simply the giftings and grace that God has given me and I start to use them and it's up to God what he does with them. See, I've already lived through my brother having 1,500 people in his church and 150 in mine. I've gone through that. It doesn't matter anymore. The, the important thing is that God chooses for me and I walk with God. What the Father has given you is greatest of all. What the Father has given you, no one can take it from you. It is the best in your life. Let God choose for you. Let him choose. Don't be anxious. Don't grab at things. Just let him choose. He will make a way. If he's given you a gift, he'll make a way for the gift. Scripture says that clearly. Don't worry about it. There we go. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and the final lesson of receiving God's best. Next week, we begin a new module titled The Holy Spirit. This is one you won't want to miss, so to register for the module, please head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can do just that. Also, if you would like to make a secure online donation to Arise Ministry, you can now do that through our website. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.